Full of Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Linda Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going? It's going pretty good, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. And um, for this episode, we've got um, a couple of album reviews, and we're going to get into some NFL topics, and then just thoughts on the finals as it's, as it's extending into um, a, a um, sixth game tonight, and uh, it's really turned into a, a really entertaining series. But to start it off with... Um, Bryson Tiller's uh, anniversary review. Um, this is his third album released last Friday, and um, a week prior to the release, to the release of um, Anniversary, Tiller dropped a deluxe version of his five-year-old Trap Soul debut. And the way this album rollout was put together was, you know, very clever and sparking interest and intrigue. Um, even the new artwork um, mirrored Trap Soul only with the blue filter. And um, his last album, True to Self, was was disappointing for many. And he takes, you know, a three-year break and really feels as though he's going back to the sound that brought him into the spotlight. Um, even from the first track, years go by, um, we don't just get sounds similar to Trap Soul, but also him recognizing um, he has to get back to where he once was. Um, and he says, quote, pressure on me whenever I'm flatlined down. I can't keep him on my back right now. The game called me and said, come back right now, end quote. And there's just the haze-filled, um, dark and temporary um, R&B production of 10 tracks and um, half rapping and half singing as... Um, we're used to seeing him, um, sing from him, and the standout single, um, Out of Time with Drake, came with um, satisfaction and, and alleviation musically. And in another one of his standout songs, um, Things Change, he says, quote, maybe calling your, you would fix things right now. Are you listening right now? Are you listening? Um, repeat, play this just to make sure you don't miss things, end quote. And he's chronicling, you know, relationship issues and just being at odds when things don't work out. Um, but what were your thoughts on this project being full circle for Trap Soul and and if him taking so much time off to come back for this really made a difference. You know, man, it was uh, it was mixed emotions, uh, to be completely honest with you, because the one thing I did, I'll start with like the highlights. The, the one thing I really did like about this project that he talked in depth, especially the interview. He was like, "Yo, man, I got to a point where I didn't care what the fans were." <laughs> were thinking about my music. He went deep and in that put, last interview. Yeah. And he put, it put me in a space where I, I feel like it put him in a space where like, yo, I can't release my own music or I have to be strategic instead of just releasing music that he really rocks with. Um, right. And it, the funny thing, he didn't want to uh, release a song with Drake on it <laughs> because yeah. he said he really wasn't <laughs> feeling it. And I was like, yeah, what? No, you should definitely <laughs> release that. Definitely it doesn't release matter. That. <laughs> It doesn't matter what type of track it is. If Drake's on there, people are going to give it a listen because it's yeah. Drake. Drake is on there. Exactly. So, but um, I thought it was a, a, I think it was an okay album, to be honest with you. It, I think nothing will top Trap Soul. Nothing, man. Nothing. I, and it's so, it, it's hard to be like, yo, I, we've had, I have these discussions with a lot of my friends. It was like, man, y'all crazy. No, bro. Nothing will top Trap Soul. If Drake would have got on the Don't Remix, man, come on. Come on, man. <laughs> come on, What's man. going on here? <laughs> Why did that happen? <laughs> and with him like not being like the top tier guy anymore, it made room mm. for so many other artists like Brent Fias, um, yeah. uh, Givian, uh, Geez, uh, it's, a, it's a lot more. It's a lot of other art, R&B artists. And Givian just came, came out with a new a new EP. He did. It's fire. And then the song he has yeah. with, um, was it uh, Snow Algeria? Snow Allegra. 
Oh, Charlie. Allegra. Oh, Jesus. I just, I was trying to put the little <laughs> emphasis, you know. <laughs> I didn't even call for the rah-rah. But no, yeah, yeah. He, his music is super fire. And his voice is like very unique. Like he has a unique voice. But for this yeah. album, I really thought it was a good album. It was okay. It wasn't nothing spectacular. Even the Drake song was like, okay, it was, it was all right. Was yeah, I didn't even good. like really like like it that much. I, mean, I liked it, but it wasn't like a great song. Yeah, like like it wasn't like um geez, it wasn't like the sequence, it wasn't like exchange mm-hmm. or don't, it wasn't like right my wrongs, um, been that way. Like, yo, those songs stand the test of time. I listened to that album. Over and over, like till this day, to this day. <laughs> but to man, this, this day. <laughs> yeah, this album was okay. It wasn't nothing like I just I just love the way he was so transparent and saying, like, yo, I'm I'm really tired of trying to figure out what music you guys are gonna like. I'm gonna put it out anyways. So I really, I really think that was dope. Yeah, and I think like timeless, the timeless interlude, things change. Um I really do. I, Inhale was was still a track that I really like. Was there was there like any favorites that you had off of this one? I know you don't think it was like a great project, but were there any like that you that you would still go back and listen to? The two that are saved are Timeless and um, Out of Time, for sure. Because okay. what I do is the process of what I do. If a new album comes, I'll add the entire thing, and then I'll mm-hmm. listen to all the songs, and then I'll pick the the best songs. I, I'll I'll know I will listen to over and over. Right. And those two, first it was only out of time, and then I gave it another listen, and then Timeless made it. So I might give it another listen, and maybe the songs will work on me. Um, and then we'll, I don't know, but yeah, definitely Timeless. I mean, uh, Timeless Interlude because I'm I'm a big fan of interludes. I love interludes. Yeah, his then, interludes are always crazy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and he really kind of like it sounded like oh him. A little bit. It sounded like Trap Soul, Bryson Tiller. Do you think he'll ever get back to that Trap Soul element where we just go back and listen to his project again? Because it seems like we're all still waiting for that. Because that was just a high moment for him. Like, you know, the peak of, of, of what yeah. he can do. And it seems as though like he's he still hasn't gotten back to that level yet. It, I think he, he'll be leveled. I don't think he'll get back to that point again. Because I think, I don't know if he was hungry, hungrier then or the people like... Because there's a lot of people that help him write Trap Soul. Right. I don't know if he has the same people in his camp or whatever, but those songs, those production-wise, it was just different. Like, and I think it was a time in that we never heard anything like him at the time. Now mm-hmm. we have other artists that sound like him. Exactly. And possibly do it even better. But now, I mean, we're, we're on a different wave. It's a different trend now. Now I think we're getting back into the 90s music because... Brent Fayez is the top of R&B right now. I don't care what nobody says. Oh, yeah. The man's on top of the R&B charts right mm-hmm. now. And we're he has that 90s feel. And I think we're getting back to that 90s feel. So um, I don't think he ever his music will ever get to that point again. Like, where, like, we just, like, everything shuts down. Because we're hoping. Like, we're hoping he gets back to that point. But exactly. the music is not, you know, translating into it. Yeah, definitely. Um now transitioning to the Savage Mode and Metro Boomin's, uh, I mean, to 21 Savage and Metro Boomin's Savage Mode 2 review, um, you know, this had the intention of being um, a, a bigger, louder, more expansive project. And um, the, the first Savage Mode, Mode was like more of a straightforward collection of, of nine good to great songs. And um, the sequel had the intentions of being legacy defining. And um, Metro Boomin just doesn't lay the foundation for 21 Savage, but controls the atmosphere, you know, with the beats that, lay drum patterns rooted in, in Atlanta trap. And there's just, um, 
and Unpredictable mix of samples and melodies. Um, they've got features from from Young Thug, Drake, and um, Morgan Freeman narrating. But what were your thoughts on this sequel overall and the best, and kind of like what was like the best feature to you on this one? Man, uh, <laughs> the fact that he had Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Man. What did he have to do to get <laughs> Morgan Freeman? We just got to take a moment to acknowledge that. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody's really talking about it. You know how dope Morgan Freeman don't move unless you you're like he don't move for nobody. Oh no. And he's older now. So he's older. <laughs> <laughs> he's not moving anybody. But yo, that was crazy. The Drake feature was crazy. How he just dropped them gems about SZA. Like, Man, got the unfollow from SZA. <laughs> Right, but then she clarified, like, yo, Drake is not no pedophile type. Because there's a lot of, like, stuff about that about Drake. I was like, yo, what? Just wait till CLB. Just wait till CLB when he drops all all the gems of the way he's been with the past. Bro, he still ain't dropped the album. It's October. It's October. I don't even know if we're going to get it this year. (laughs) I don't think we're going to get an album from uh, J. Cole. Yeah. But no, um... (laughs) <laughs> right. But no, uh Rich's uh Rich in crap was really dope. My right now was really dope. Yeah. Um ooh, uh brand new Draco kind of is, that was is, tough. is uh getting to me. Yeah. Brand new Draco. <laughs> Said and done. Said and done. Said and done. How did that go? Said and done. Said and done. Oh, it's the last track. Yeah. Last I don't remember how that goes. Let me oh, replay. Oh, that simple's crazy. Yeah. Simple oh, that simple was crazy for sure. Oh yeah. That oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That simple. <laughs> yeah, that simple was crazy. But you gotta be like a fan. I'm not like a big fan of 21, but it's it's certain songs like are really like dope. And his rap style is kind of like sometimes like I'm a da-da-da-da. Like he's like that nursery rhyme rhymes, you know? It's <laughs> see, look at you thought about it. The nursery rhymes, man. That's what 21 Savage brings to you. Yes. Savon's cake. In trap though, trap nursery rhymes. Hickory, hickory, dot. <laughs> right up in a clock with my glock. <laughs> 21. <laughs> 21. He's gonna say 21 like 18 times in, in one track. <laughs> right. 21, 21. <laughs> But no, nah, yeah, I thought it was a dope, uh, dope album. Yeah, and then sure. a nostalgic uh, cover, the album cover. Oh yeah, a lot of people was like, "Is it me or this cover is trash?" Like y'all, that's an old school Southern, yeah, Southern. Homage. Yeah, they paying homage to the Southerness because you know, even though he's from another country that we didn't know about until a few years back. Um, <laughs> I feel like that was the big reveal of his. That really was movie. the big reveal. <laughs> like yo, I'm, like I'm from this uh this uh, little island that's owned by Britain <laughs> or <it's> England. <laughs> yeah, it's Britain, whatever. That's funny, but no, it was a good album. Good album. I think it was uh, I think it was uh, for sure. Uh, Vintage Twenty One. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, and, and, and like when you. When an artist is approaching doing a sequel and, you know, they're trying to build off of something that they, that they did in the first one, like, what in particular are you, like, do you kind of anticipate or look for when they're trying to add on to something that they did, like, for an original? I look for how they market it and how, like, 
passionate passionate are they are about it because you can tell if an artist really no that's you that's you that's, that's me, but it's on silent it. though like how can it still be on it's on silent like listeners we always try to come into these podcasts with our silent mode on. <laughs> right. and it's on silent i can see the orange on my iphone like when you yeah. turn it down and it's just like ding Somebody's trying to take over my phone, and I don't like it. But no, I I look at how they kind of like market it, and I know sometimes it's not their marketing scheme. Is there if you're signed by a label, whatever? I look for that. I look at the cover art because you you can tell a lot by somebody's album or single art, like like their cover art for the the, for the track. And then I I look for kind of like I know what I'm going to get. Like if you're like a well-known artist, I know what type of style I'm going to get from you or hear from you. Right. I'm looking for what type of other artists you gel with. Mm-hmm. Or do you have the same artist you always have a feature with? Like I'm looking for, because it's not much you can do when you're already a well-known artist. It's not much you, yeah, you can switch up your cadence. You can like try a different t- style, style of song, you know. But I feel like what, who, who, who else can you gel with besides um, Future or... <laughs> Or some other artist that Twenty One Savage always go, you know, goes with. Now he has Young Nudie on there, which was, which was kind of surprising because he's still an upcoming, upcoming artist. So, exactly. but they fit the style. So that's why I look for it. What, what's your features like? When we, I think we did uh, Chance the Rapper, and we also mm-hmm. did um, Big Sean. You yeah. see all those artists like he gels well with those artists. I don't think Chance the Rapper gel well with the artists he had on his album. So that's why I look for different things because it's so it, you really can't find different things you want out of artists because that's their sound. You don't, I mean, that's that's what they got here, they came here for because they're the sound. So that's why I look for features, cover art, how they market it, how passionate they are about it. You can hear mm-hmm. it in the music. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, now transitioning to the NFL, and you started off with um, Bill O'Brien um, out at Houston, and, and just kind of thoughts on what the Texans need to improve. Um, this past Monday, the Texans fired Bill O'Brien after um, a 31-23 loss to the Vikings, dropping them to 0-4. And um, he had a dual title as head coach and general manager, and now associate head coach Romeo uh, Cornell is named the club's um, interim head coach. Um, Six-plus seasons after O'Brien joined Houston, he finished his time with them at a 52-48 and 48 regular season record and a 2-4 and four postseason mark. Um, he was also the NFL's only coach to hold a general uh, manager title. And they've had consecutive AFC South titles, and even last year at t- uh, ten and six, after leading the Chiefs uh, twenty one nothing, they uh, blew a, blew a lead with a lot of um, poor decision making displayed. Um, but what are your thoughts on on this early firing in the season, and just how the Texans can work on a better future as they still have a great foundation with the franchise QB? Now, I would say this: Bill O'Brien should have been fired <laughs> a long time yeah. ago, <laughs> uh, especially after he made that move. He made a couple moves last year, and then and then in the offseason, that kind of had people scratching their heads, sent a bunch of people to Miami for s- some weak players that haven't even translated over to contributing to the football team. Then you get rid of DeAndre Hopkins, one of your future wide receivers, for what? And, um, whew. and then I think if he wasn't the general manager – as well as the head coach, I think things would have been smoother because I think he would have stayed longer. But now that you're the general manager, yeah. I don't know how you pulled that with Miss uh, McNair. Say, hey, I could be the general manager too. I'm making decisions. I might as well. I don't know how he pulled that. What a what a card. And he had it for like <laughs> three or four years. Like, how do you do that? 
But yeah, I think Bill O'Brien should have been fired. He's, I mean, he's not one of those. I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't like him. I didn't like him as a head coach. I mean, and they had what it was, uh, the hard knocks to you get to see how how good of a head coach he was and how he moved and you know how he coaches players. I really didn't, you know, I didn't really didn't like him to be honest with you. And he should have been yeah. fired because he was a black head coach. He would have been gone for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a clash with even him and players like J.J. Watt. You know that they were in an argument after one practice. Um, him and Hopkins really didn't get along. Uh, I mean, there's sometimes with coaches you can tell like when they just do not connect with players. From early on, did you kind of feel as though that may have been a possibility? Because some coaches, they they can manage per- different personalities and, and have a better sense of chemistry. But for him, it just seemed even from his early years in Houston, there was just never that that strong, consistent connection. I, I think you have to be genuine. I don't think he was a genuine guy, a genuine coach. Like, play. I mean, they're grown men. They they understand if a guy's not genuine or he's just blowing smoke out of his butt or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. those are grown men. They understand that. So if if a head coach is really genuine and really care about the players outside of football, it's going to translate over because now I will I will do anything for this coach because it's more than football. Right. I don't think it was like that, and you can tell. How he had the relationship with Ryan Mallett uh, when he came from the Patriots because that was, he was on the hard knocks and how he treated them. It was just like, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right how he treated them and stuff like that. Yeah. So him not having a, a relationship with two of your biggest guys, J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins, that says something. And that and that yeah. everybody sees that like, man, I don't know about Coach O'Brien, man. He be tripping. But now I think they move. I, move, I think they move better. Now you get the right pieces because it's like, I think they have three max contracts. Yeah. And they were 0 and 4. <laughs> and we can't forget the fact that they start off with like one of the toughest schedules. Chiefs, mm. Ravens. I mean, Chiefs, Ravens for the first two weeks. I mean, the, now they, they had the Steelers in, in week three and they easily could have come out two and two. But I mean, the first two weeks they they do have, and I think that's why the, 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 um, the Texans didn't fire him even like, earlier on because the, the first two weeks that they started off with were extremely tough. They have, uh, they have to play a good Steelers team, but the Vikings, I think that was the game where they were going to kind of like measure up. Hey, do we keep this guy or do we just let him go now? You know, I thought about the, the strength of the schedule. You know what, man, that I don't care about that because at the end <laughs> of the day, Meryl, you have to compete. You've made the moves. This is, this is why I say it doesn't matter about the schedule. You made those moves last year during the season to trade those players in, to, from Miami to, to, to Texans, then you get rid of DeAndre Hopkins. You don't have a running game. Your offensive line is shot. J.J. Watt is we still, he's still up in the air. He's injured throughout the year. Your secondary, you have two older guys still at cornerback with Joseph and uh, what's, his, what's the other guy's name? Well, it doesn't matter. Your, your defense needs help. And you have three mess contracts. One is your quarterback, and you have nothing to show for it. doesn't matter about the strength of the schedule. You make those moves because you're confident in those moves. So you feel like they can – they didn't. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. It doesn't matter about their strength of schedule. He just made poor decisions <laughs> as a general manager and a head coach. Poor decision-making throughout. And I don't think ever in the NFL, it should never be like – NBA, you can get away with that. Oh, yeah. NFL – no, they, the head coach should not be the general manager. Head coach position is already stressful as it is. You don't need to be making those decisions 
<laughs> no, you don't need to make those decisions. That's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now transitioning to to um Aaron Rodgers and, and the just the strong start that the Packers have gotten off to. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> this is Savon's favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but the Packers are off to a four and zero start after um a fourteen point win against the Falcons Monday night at home, and you know Rodgers he's off to a, fl- a flawless start. Green Bay has scored at least thirty points without a turnover each of the first four games, and making them the first team in NFL history to start with um, four such games. And the variety of contributions they've done it with is just really astounding as they played two consecutive games without Devontae Adams and number two receiver Alan Lazard being out indefinitely because of a um core muscle injury and. This was looking back at this draft class. This, this was a really rich draft class, and they didn't take one. But Rodgers has still had 13 touchdowns and no interceptions. Um, also, being the fourth most passing touchdowns without an interception over its first the team's first four games in league history. Um, but what has impressed you the most, kind of like with the Packers start, whether it be you know Aaron Rodgers' electric start or just them you know rolling even without their best receivers? This offensive line. This is one of the best yeah. offensive lines we've had in a long time. Healthy too. Healthy mm-hmm. offensive line. You, we get rid of Balaga. He's with uh, the Lions. He used to be our starting right tackle. Bakhtiari is still there. Lindsley is still there at the center position. We have some new guys in the inside. I love this offensive line. Aaron Rodgers has not been touched often because we give up sacks a lot. Last year, I think we were like top five of giving up sacks. Mm-hmm. Now we're not even in the top five. We we're like in the like back end. So I'm so happy. It, he did get sacked the uh the a game against Atlanta Falcons, but that wasn't the O-line's fault. It kind of got caved in on him and he tried to run and his leg buckled and then he fell down. So that was considered a sack. But other than that, he's been clean. He's been having time to lose people. I love this offensive line and I love the parts, the, the tight end situations. Mercedes Lewis didn't play. Last game, but our new guy, well, I think he's a rookie. Uh, what is his name? Um, Robert Tanyan. Robert Tanyan stepped up three touchdowns, man. I love yeah. how these young guys are stepping up without Vontae. Ooh, without Vontae. But it, it's a weird stat. Like, we're 7-0 and without Vontae starting or being in the game. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> our best guy <laughs> it's like when um steph curry is out and then they have like a good record or something like that or when kd was out like, they had a what's worse going record. on here like, what does that mean <laughs> like everybody steps up now but no i love how the best thing about it's offensive line i think our secondary still needs some work but it's a work in progress i think the front seven is solid but the best thing mm-hmm. about this team is the o-line that's why we're moving and then Aaron jones Aaron Jones, I think the offensive line is blocking their butt off, so Aaron Jones is even better this year. And then we're saving him, so he's fresh at the end of games, so Jamal Williams gets some snaps, and some other guy gets some snaps, so we can keep him um, keep him fresh and healthy. So I think that was really good. You can't do that without a good offensive line. Mm-mm. But yeah. Not at all. Go and, and the Seahawks and Packers, they look like the, the top two teams in the NFC. I mean, 49ers, they have, they've they gone through early injuries. Uh, where do you, like, in terms of, like, the, the early NFC contenders that, like, really stand out to you, um, I know the Packers are up there. Are there, like, any other teams that you think are just, like, really, like, strong early NFC contenders? Chicago. Oh, yeah. Chicago, for sure. Chicago is surprising me, man. Nick Foles, the defense is already good. The running game is working. Online is, is really strong. They're just missing that quarterback. Trubisky is not that type of quarterback for that system. They need a pocket passer. 
<clears throat> excuse me, Nick Foles is back. He's with the Reigns. They're four and one. They're playing good football. They're playing great football. Came back against uh uh Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady. He even shake their hand. Second time. Oof. 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 Come on. He just had to get off. He just had to get off the field. He's like, I can't do it. This guy's beat me twice. Right. Like Nick Foles, man, it's crazy. Nick Foles is <laughs> and one was in the Super Bowl, of course. So I think they're the, the Bears are a good contender. Seahawks, of course. I think the Rams are still up there. Now yeah, we're, the Rams are looking good. There, we're seeing a good Jared Goff. We're not seeing postseason or playoff Jared Goff because that Jared Goff is different, not in a good way. <laughs> regular <laughs> not, season, not different in a good way. <laughs> no, regular season Jared Goff, we get a prolific quarterback who's accurate, who's confident in his own line. He got one of his best weapons, a cutback. Like he's he's confident, but when he gets to that playoffs, he's a different quarterback, not in a good way. And I think that's what I mean. The defense always steps up, but that's what shoots him in the heel. He shoot him in the foot. Uh, no Tory Lanes. Uh, <laughs> You're on one today. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, the Bears and the Rams for sure, and then Green Bay and the Seahawks. But I think yeah, the Bears. The Bears are surprising me. I didn't think they were going to be. At this good, but it's without Trubisky though. That's why they got yeah. Nick Foles. And and you were mentioning with the Rams, like what Aaron Donald can do. He's just like he's got to be considered obviously one of the best players in the league. Like when you think of like best players in the league, I mean Mahomes is 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 right up there. What Russell Wilson's doing, like a defensive player like that who can still be considered one of the top players. Like where does in terms of his overall impact, like how great is it in terms of just compared to other great players in the league right now? He's like top on, on defense or just position wise? Just position. Position wise. wise, he's number one. Yeah. For sure. Because he can line up anywhere. All these guys can line up anywhere, but they're not as like effective. He can line up anywhere, outside, inside, three technique, it's in, in the A gap, B gap, C gap, F gap. T gap, it doesn't matter where you put him, he's going to make an impact. And he's short, yeah. he's six foot, he gets under you, he's fast, he's strong. Like we thought Khalil Mack was strong. Oh my mm. gosh. This dude's different. And Khalil Mack is like 6'2, 6'2, six, 6'3, six, six, with long arms. So you can tell the difference. That <laughs> Aaron Donald's a dog, man. <laughs> that's one he's player crazy. I'll be like I don't know if I can block him yeah. I don't know because his get off is crazy and he has this little pause like he does Yeah, he'll pause it while it's like he's in slow motion and then he'll turn it up and then hit your hand and get under, like yo I'll be like oh where are you going ah. and then oh no, I'm sorry I'm sorry quarterback I'm sorry. I'll be saying sorry all day long sorry 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. but he's, he's number one number one um, we're just the entire defensive line or interior defense. Well, they move around. So yeah. top five right now, I'll say Aaron Donald. I'll say Cam Jordan, JJ still, mm-hmm. um, Khalil Mack. Yeah. Um, who's out there? Uh, uh, Hayward for, uh, oh, yeah, for sure. no, 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 hey, it's out of Hayward or Akeem Hicks. D lineman for uh, the Bears. The guys in we'll probably go with Kim Hicks. Incredible, big agile guy, smart, understands the offense, offensive schemes. Oh man, he does everything right. Oh, man, that defensive line for the Bears is something else. 
Oh gosh, sure. but not Aaron Donald's definitely number one. Number one is. Oh yeah. Now. Yeah, and now transitioning to, to just most intriguing week five game. Um, one of the the early ones that stands out to me is is Colts and, and Browns as. You know, the Browns just lost Nick Chubb to an injury and are going with right. Kareem Hunt and Johnson against the Colts. Um, they're set, currently second in rushing efficiency through four games. And, and the Colts defense, you know, ranks near the top of the league in almost every statistical category in the, the um, DeForest Buckner matchup. And others going up against the contrast with Cleveland's um, offensive line will be really interesting as Cleveland has gotten off to, to a pretty good start and, and, and the Colts as well. Um but to you, is there any like week five game that 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 kind of intrigues you the most? Ooh, hmm. I'm going to say this is tough. Um, that's tough, man. And I know a lot of I me, mean, a lot the Bills um and Titans got moved around, Patriots, Broncos. I mean, obviously with everything right. going on with the pandemic, games are being moved around, and we're kind of having to adjust just on the fly as well. I want to say the Raiders and the Chiefs. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. I think because the Chiefs aren't that good. They're mm. not that good. They are beatable. And we've seen that if New England would have had a Cam Newton. Yeah, that would have been would have They would have lost. Because it was like almost 6-6 six, six at halftime and then Brian Hoyer... You know, they struggled. Just doesn't even throw the ball that ball at the best. <laughs> bounce. Exactly. Whoa, what was that? Well, it said it did it again. The ringer. <laughs> Pull up. Like every time I, I exchange, look, try to look at the stats, their video pops up and it like scares me. Oh my goodness. The advertisement. Yes. <laughs> it did it. I was like, oh. 30 second ad. You can't get it. Right. Out. <laughs> and then you can't hear it. So I'm like, gosh, wow, this is irritating. But no, they struggled with. The Chargers went in OT. They beat Baltimore because Baltimore offense was not. Yeah, they need a number one guy. Hollywood is not a number one guy, number one receiver. They have a bunch of tight ends. Baltimore still can't win the big game yet. No, they still can't win the big game. They they need they need another big time wide receiver. But I'm afraid of that because Lamar is not a big time wide receiver needer. If that makes sense, that's probably was not. Yeah. Uh, good grammar, <laughs> but because of the type of offense they have, I don't think a number one receiver would be needed. But in certain situations, I think it would be needed. I'm kind of freaked out, Wellington, because I have this on silent. Like my phone is on silent, and it keeps dinging. And guys, this is October. Halloween's coming bro, out. Some strange things going on here, and I'm freaking out. Let's start watching some Halloween movies. <laughs> we gotta go through here. Let's see if that works. I, I silenced the Telegram. Let's see if that works. But um, <laughs> where were we? Where were we? Um, I, just with the Chiefs' kind of beatability in, in terms of what you're seeing early. On. Oh, for sure. So. I think the Chiefs are beatable. David Carr is playing good football. Jacobs is a really good running back. Um, their wide receiver core is good. I like Zay Jones. The defense is playing pretty good. They were 2-2, two and two, but certain, some of those games that got down late and they try to come back, I think they could have still won. But with the Chiefs team, I think with a, a veteran head coach, I think he figures out what to do against Patrick Mahomes. And I love... What um, the Chargers did in the uh, New England Patriots did. 
because the score doesn't translate what they actually did to him. To they, they start scoring like late third or fourth quarter. They played a lot of man. They exactly. blitzed That's him when they well. Started What's that? Mm-hmm. No, I'm just saying the third and fourth quarter is when they like really started picking up in both the uh, Chargers and Patriots game. For sure. And they got home. The Patriots got home. It's, they just couldn't get the quarterback situation. And one was with pick six. So if you if you cancel that, like yeah. they're a beatable football team. You find way if you get home, sometimes Patrick Mahomes is not Mr. Magic. He's not. I it, they're definitely beatable. They they should be at least uh two and two right now. They skip by in the They're still OG. gonna go 14 and 2 or 15 and 1. I don't see them losing more than two games, man. It's just, it's just going to be, even if they do have these close games early on, they're going to like still find a way in the third and fourth quarter. Bro, they're going to lose mean, today. The, 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 they're, they're sure. <laughs> they're going to lose. You're calling it? Am I calling it? Um, uh, I mean, these, these like, you know, in terms of the division games, the division games can be closer. And that's what we saw with the Chargers because they see these teams more often. And, and, and I, I can see an upset potential with this one because, as you said, the Raiders are familiar with them. And just with how, you know, Derek Carr has gotten off to, to a, you know, a pretty solid start early on. So the upset probability is there. And then you have Buffalo next week. Buffalo's 4-0. Yeah. Buffalo's playing good football. Really good. Yeah. Denver, yeah. Well, Jets, uh, Carolina, yeah. Eh, then they have to play, you know, Las Vegas again. They got to play New Orleans at the tail end, and then they got to play the Chargers mm. again at the tail end. They're gonna lose. They're gonna lose. They sh- they should be two and two right now, but should be they're gonna now. lose. They're gonna be four and two in these next two weeks. Garon, 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 Garon. But yeah, um, now transitioning to, to the um the finals as um. This is the, the the day of game six and the last game, one of the best finals games um, I think we've seen in a while. Jimmy Butler has 35, LeBron has 40. Um, Duncan Robinson has a, has an electric shooting performance. Um, the the Heat win by three. And then, you know, there's the drama of what happens with, um, you know, Danny Green missing the wide open three and just the ending of that. And um, Miami just really staying resilient because, I mean, the last time we were talking about this finals, it was you know, close to being 2-0, and it just seemed as though it was just a, a, a done deal and, and AD was playing so well, and now he's kind of, like, hobbled. Um, in terms of just, like, what you've seen from uh, from this overall series and just how Jimmy Butler has, you know, really stepped up, um, AD, you know, he's not 100%. Uh, KCP has had some big games. Um, like, what kind of stands out to you going into this game six as um, this has just really turned out to be a, a really tight series. Goran Dragic is, is still, you know, up in his health is still up in their ear as well. No, what st- the, the series should be over for mm-hmm. the for, in the sense of you had a wide open guy who's considered a three point shooter for that basketball team at the top mm-hmm. of the key. Top one of the thirty eight percent career three point. One shooter. of the easiest shots in basketball: side shot, top of the key. Well, you know, corner three, top of the key. You miss. Get the rebound. Throw it away. 4-1. 
But then the other headline, Jimmy Butler played like 47 minutes. 47. That's insane. That's yeah. what you have to do if you want to win. But it's not unheard of. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. not unheard of, but I, I love the tenacity. I love how he played. He played perfect basketball again. But it was in between games, though. Like, he can't play perfect every single game. Because game four wasn't as good of a game no. for him as game three was. Game three and game five have been his standouts. There you go. He can't be perfect. Now, if he's perfect... <sighs> the Lakers are going to win tonight, for sure. I think LeBron is going to just take over. I think he's... And it's so... I don't understand why people do this to LeBron. And he doesn't have that mentality. Please, please bring it up. Please, please bring it up. Because I'm so tired of hearing about this about, oh, he he should have shot over three defenders. I mean, like, what was what else was oh, he supposed to do? He made the right basketball oh, he, play. He should have drew the foul and he get the... <clears throat> he made the right decision. And this is the decision he does yeah. all the time, not even at the end of the game. We know if he's drawing everybody, somebody's going to be open. There were three people open. <laughs> What do you want him to do? Like, it was three other people open. And one... And he was open when Marcus Morris got the ball. Like, he was wide open, and LeBron could have ended it right there. I just don't understand why people are so critical of LeBron James. I don't understand it. Wellington, can you help me? Can you give me insight of why people hate LeBron or have an opinion on this man so much? I mean, and even what we saw from this past summer with the last dance, people, we couldn't just appreciate what Jordan was doing. We had to compare, well, this is why he's better than LeBron. Like LeBron always had to get brought up in these conversations because ever since high school, he was considered, you know, he was called the chosen one, had all of the ability. And in every series, if you even look look back to the Orlando series when they lost um, with the Cavs, averaged 38 points. Um, even even in Boston series, when they take them to seven um, back in Cleveland and him and Paul, Porter, Paul Pierce are having duels, had 41 in the game seven. Every time there's a big series outside of, you know, the Dallas one with, with um, in the finals, his first year in Miami, he always delivers. But just the scrutiny that he's under and what he's been able to do, he's he's one of the three best players ever um, or, or, or top five, wherever you want to put him. But we always try to find a way to like, you know, nitpick everything he does. And it, and it really doesn't make sense because like I said in our last episode with Ivan, he's he's the most underappreciated star we've ever had. For sure. And I don't understand it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nine times out of 10, everybody who says anything about that play. And then another is circulating now. Why did he call for a pick? He should have just did it. What? He fought. Isn't like, that basketball? <laughs> Isn't that how Steph Curry gets open? Isn't that how Klay Thompson gets open? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bro, I mean, bro nitpicking I don't everything. It. And the picture is so funny. It's nobody there, right? But he's yeah. literally you at half nobody. court almost. Yes, you call for the pick. You get the mismatch. What are you talking about? You get the mismatch. Oh my gosh. Oh my la 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 la. But I don't understand, man. But like game six. But yes, you think they close sure. it out? For sure. Close it out tonight. Because right? Jimmy Butler, even when AD's not completely healthy, 
Jimmy can't play perfect basketball every game. He just played 47 minutes, only have a day to rest in between, and he wasn't 100%. So he can't play. Is this LeBron's best finals individual matchup opponent? Because, like, we, we, we've we seen some guy like Kawhi, he, he liked it, you know, brought out a lot of a lot out of him even Kevin mm-hmm. Durant like do you think Butler is right up there in terms of just like individual matchups in the finals that has been LeBron's Ooh, toughest no um I don't think so because you gotta think about he had Kevin oh finals no when he went to the finals against the yeah finals who did he go to the finals against when he was with the Cavaliers the, like before he left was it the Spurs uh, oh Spurs so it was oh yeah so it was Kawhi Kawhi was young then yeah Kawhi's number one for sure because no, for sure, yeah. no one else gave him that reaction. Do you remember that reaction? Was that a free throw line? Oh yeah, he, he saw him check in. He saw him check in. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's how you know that. I think Iguodala was a decent one. Iguodala was good. Yeah. Um, Kevin Durant was. Kevin Durant didn't, didn't hold him in the entire series though. But Jimmy's up there. Jimmy's definitely up there. Because he played the, the Spurs a lot. So <laughs> he played the Spurs a lot. So they, yeah, I think Kawhi is definitely one of the the, the biggest, the toughest. Just and and before 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 transition, if if Miami like real quick, if Miami wins tonight, what would have to go right for them? And then if LA closes it out, what, what do you think would particularly have to go right for them? LeBron has to play perfect like he always does. He plays perfect every game, mm-hmm. every single game. Uh, but for for Miami to pull this off and, and force a game seven, Jimmy has to play perfect. Yeah, Hero has to play perfect. Uh, Bam has to play perfect. These guys have to play perfect, and Jimmy has been carrying his basketball team. And for mm-hmm. I feel like AD has to be healthy. Those guys have to not look. Look at game three. Was it? It was a game three. It was game four. They were knocking their threes down. Game one, game two, when they came back after they were losing like the first half, well, not the first half, the first quarter, they came back. Those guys were knocking threes down. Diz out. Mm-hmm. For Lakers to win, the supporting players have to make their three-point shots because everybody's going to collapse on LeBron. That's the game plan. You guys have to make your threes. Simple. But yeah, Miami yeah, has to play sure. perfect. Definitely. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Fight Club review. Welcome back to the show. And now we're getting into our Fight uh, Fight Club review. And to start with the overview, um, Fight Club is a 1999 film directed by David Fisher and starring Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, um, Helena Bingham Carter, uh, Meatloaf Day, and Jared Leto. It's based on the 1996 novel of the same name by Chuck um, Palahniuk. Norton plays the unnamed narrator who is discontented with his white-collar job, forms a fight club with soap salesman Tyler Durden, and becomes embroiled in a relationship with him and a destitute woman, Marla Singer. It had a budget of $63 million and brought in $101.2 million in the box office. It had a 79% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it was nominated for the 2000 Academy Award for Best Sound Editing. Lost to The Matrix. Um, Bonhomme Carter won the 2000 Empire Award for Best um, British uh, Actress. The Online Film Critics Society also nominated it for Best Film, Best Director, Best Actor, um, Edward Norton, Best Editing, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And um, the film didn't win any of the awards, but it ended up being listed as one of the top 10 films of 1999. And this is a film where, you know, it's been, you know, debated fiercely by critics as some loved it and others um, hated it with it being, you know, such a unique story 
and really trying to describe what the male psyche is in the 90s. Um, but what were, were kind of like your initial thoughts of this film and just the balance between um, Ed Norton and Brad Pitt earlier in their careers? Whew, what a movie. Like you said, this is young Ed, Ed and young Brad. This movie was, man, it was like a twisty. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't think it was meant to be like, like a big reveal. No, actually, I do think it was supposed to be like a big reveal, like at the end of the movie. But like, they played this perfectly. It was, it was like certain scenes were non-scripted, so it was just like they just did it. Like, it's mm-hmm. when we get to the scenes, like some of the stuff was unscripted. It was like, yo, that's really dope that they were like, you know, get into the role that much. But nah, yeah. this this was a top for both. I'm gonna say for both. This is a top five movie for both. I think this actors. is Brad Pitt's best character, like ever. Be- mm, I don't know. Like best, like best, best, like best, best, best. <sighs> top tier. I'm definitely going to top three. Oh, for mm, yeah, for sure. No, 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 no. For sure, for sure, for sure. For sure. For Ed, I think this is his best movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, he played an Italian job, which was a great Oh, yeah, the Italian job was good. Rounders um, with Matt Damon. Yeah, and a bunch of other actors. Uh, um, Jason Tatum, um, I forgot her name, but she's a, a major actor. I forgot her name, though. There was a lot of great actors in the Italian job. But now, nah, this, I think definitely for both Oh, Charlie Theron. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, I love her. She's so she's so pretty, so beautiful. She's like <laughs> down to earth. Like you ever see her interview? She's so like down yeah, to earth. It's like chill. super crazy. Um, but for both actors, top five movie, like from getting in, this this is a great film, bro. Like and this mm-hmm. early in their career, which is really crazy that this film yeah. like really and it didn't win any awards. That's so insane, I gotta ask you this Wellington. Brad Pitt had me, me Joe Black. Black. <laughs> was that? Brad Pitt was just was just Brad Pitt was just coming off of meet uh, uh, meeting Joe Black, and he was right. like that. That's when he was you know interviewed about this film. That's oh yeah, but but Rotten Tomatoes, yes, seventy nine percent. Say that again. Seventy nine percent. That's it. That, that's it. Rotten Tomatoes, it, 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 like, like like they are they're convinced that they just want to disappoint us every week, every week, 79%. man. Seventy nine percent. At least gotta be in the eighties. It should have been at least like. I would say 92. Like, I don't understand what they scale this stuff What is their like. metric? <laughs> right. 79%? So you're telling me you, you saw the ending coming. <laughs> Get out of here. Oh, yeah. Nobody we knew that. We coming. knew that. <laughs> Even the actors, when they was reading the scripts, didn't see it coming. Get out of here. Yeah. Oh, 79%. Ah, Colchina. But nah, this, yeah, man, this is a dope film. Real dope. Yeah, I can't wait. Let's get into it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and uh, getting to our first topic, from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, I, I gave it four as the cast, which is obviously picked up, picked very well, resulting in great performances and stunning visuals. Um, you know, but the main thing, as we were, as we were just talking about, is is the plot, as it has one that's rarely been seen before and captured the pre millennial tension and just the, the twist in the plot that were just, um, just really, um just really had a great effect and a great um, balance for the ending. Um, but to you, for, from one to four stars, what would you give it? Definitely four. Yeah. From beginning to end, had you engaged, had the big reveal at the end, the fights, the, the scenes were dope. Like the monologue was dope. The actors did a great job. 
Like, it just had everything you wanted in a movie. I know I always say that. Well, certain movies I always say that. Mm-hmm. But, yo, this film, like, yeah. <laughs> this film was so dope, man. First Rule of Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I watched this. I watched it. Um, What day did I watch this? Today is Sunday. I watched it yeah. on Wednesday. And literally, That's literally the me- same day I watched it. That's literally the same day I watched it. I didn't Bro, we pick the same day. I don't know, man. I guess because it was the day before. No, we do our podcast normally on Friday. But um, yeah, it brought Friday. me back to the younger days when I'm just sitting here watching with my dad thinking like, yo, why did he let me watch this? at like seven, six years old, bro. Like, this is not a good idea. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't get in a fight club. <laughs> but no, this yeah. is really definitely four, four stars. If we could give it five, I would give it five. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to a favorite character, um, for, for me, it, it was Tyler Durden as this was just one of the ultimate Brad Pitt roles, maybe, um, you know, one of the top 10 ultimate movie characters that that many um, feel as though they've really ever seen. And, you know, he's complex, principled, um, dangerous and unpredictable all at once. And these elements are even intensified just as the film progresses. Um, but to you, like, who is your favorite character? I got to go with the narrator, which is Edward Norton, which is, yeah, we all know who he is. But no, I just, I don't yeah. know. It was just like this. I think it was like a, the the angel and the devil on your shoulder type thing. And it's mm-hmm. his guy. <laughs> but then it's so funny how he changed into the guy he already was. And maybe, I don't know, like that's that just took me too, because he started out this timid guy bringing him in. But yeah, the, the narrator, Ed Eric's character, was one of my favorite characters because how he kind of introduced him as this timid guy, then he became the guy. And it was, I was like, yo, you always been here. Like, who are you, who are you talking about? Who are you talking about? Like, it was just, all right, mm-hmm. just. I'm getting excited. Well, it's oh no, I know what you mean. <laughs> I'm getting excited. It's like, what guy are you talking about? <laughs> like, yo, who? What? Like, no, you, you're the guy. Like, you yeah. own Fight Club. Like, what do you? <laughs> like that whole like, I don't know. It's really dope. Yeah, and, and transitioning to the most memorable scene of the movie, um, I had. I want you to hit me where Tyler convinces the narrator to hit him as hard as as hard as he can. Um, the first rule of Fight Club, where you know Tyler Durden lays down the ground rules for Fight Club. Um, first and foremost, you don't talk about Fight Club. The chemical burn where um, Durden gives the narrator a chemical burn to teach him the lesson that it's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. Um, Jack smirking revenge where the, the um, narrator beats himself up to a, a bloody pope in his boss's office and then letting yourself become Tyler Durden where the narrator comes to the stunning realization that um, he and Tyler Durden are the same person. Um, but to you, kind of like what was your most memorable scene in this film? When he beat himself up in his, his boss's office. <laughs> was one of the best scenes. <laughs> and just imagining you watching it as a young kid and like, yo, I don't think I'll ever want to do that if I ever get a job like that. <laughs> And then the big reveal of saying like, you are, you know, Tyler Durden. Like, that was just like, both of those, it was other good scenes. They were there in the hospital. There was some funny scenes. But those two, when he beat himself up in the in an, the boss's office and then just the big reveal, like, yo, you are him. Who are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> that scene there, he beat the crap out of himself. Like, Literally. Transitioning <laughs> um, to, to, to most memorable quotes, um, I had, this is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. First, you got to know, not fear. Know that someday you're going to die. When you have insomnia, you're never really asleep and you're never really awake. Um, and Tyler, we trusted. 
the things you end up in, in the things you own end up owning you. Um, the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. You know what the second rule of Fight Club is, Savon? What was that? You don't talk about. <laughs> 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 uh, but to you, what, what was your most memorable quote? Oh, uh, you don't talk about Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, it's Definitely, that was like the biggest one. Um, yeah, the other ones are like too long. I think it was like you're not your when he was like you're not your job. You're not how much money you have in the bank. You're not the car you drive. You're not the contents of your wallet. You're not your effing khakis. You're the all singing, <laughs> all dancing crap of the world, yo, <laughs> bro. It was some great, and it's not one liner. The dialogue, like, man. Bro, the dialogue was crazy. Super crazy before his time. And then so many movies mimic this. Have you mm-hmm. ever watched um, Old School with? Uh, um, mm, I've never seen that one. Oh, um, he's the, one of the Owen brothers, Will Ferrell, um, uh, Vince Vaughn. Like they were oh, like man. these older dudes in college. Like they was trying to start their own fraternity. <laughs> they had like a Fight Club slash Jelly thing <laughs> down in the basement. <laughs> like so many movies start copying this movie. It is so crazy, man. Don't see like the dialogue, yeah, bro. Um, transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, how the narrator's depression um, and Tyler's appeal was set up, you know, so well. The narrator was unable to develop real human connections, and then Tyler offers an alluring philosophy and freedom from the modern world. And just the direction from um, David Fincher was not meant to give an answer to the struggles of the world, um, but a critique. Um, but to you in particular, what did you kind of like the most about the storyline? I like how the narrator. Yeah, I like how they introduced the narrator, and not knowing the narrator was like the main guy, and he wasn't just like a voice; he was actually a person as well to go with the narration. If that makes sense. And then mm-hmm. it ended up him being all them. All three were the same, like the the same person. The narrator. Yeah. <laughs> He was actually human flesh, and then he's actually Tyler Durden. Like, how in the world do you do this? And then I just love how, I don't know, it's secret. Everybody was in in it. Police officers, people mm-hmm. from just everywhere across the earth wanting to be in this club. Like, it was so, yeah, man. I think that was the biggest one, the biggest reveal. Like, yo. Yeah. Dad, did you see that coming? <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, and, and absolutely, and, and um, I, I, another movie that I know you're a big fan of, Joker, and and I'm going to try to have us do it and review it in a couple of weeks with a guest. But IndieWire had an article last year about um, quote why fuck why why Fight Club is the movie is the movie that Joker failed to become, and it's written by David Eltridge, and he says quote um both films tell broadly allegor- allegorical stories about middle aged guys who grow so isolated from the world around them and so disenfranchised from themselves that they disassociate together and all and both films entertain violence as a possible road towards personal agency, but where Fight Club confronts the toxicities of its time, Joker simply wallows in them, end quote. But but to you, like, did you see the film these films of different eras possibly having um the same ideology, or do you see it a, a little a little differently as it's just completely from two different eras? Hmm. I think most movies, especially it came out in 1999, I think most movies from that era really kind of paved the way for different type of like range roles or range movies that we never seen before 
or it kind of like they that was a blueprint for these films. I think mm-hmm. Fight Club, like I said, a lot of people borrowed things from Fight Club and implemented in their movies, especially like the the underground fight scene. Everybody, every like cops and and lawyers are all in this group, but you'll never know. People at the hospital, interns, <laughs> they had a freaking intern yeah. in this movie. Like all of that <laughs> translates to the other movies that we we see today. They all kind of borrow the blueprint for some of these movies. So I think it. I don't know. I don't know if I answered the question correctly. I know, but you, you, um, you can... for sure, I think the blueprint for like the movies that remained in the '90s definitely had an effect and an impact on the movies we see today and in the 2000s. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to our last topic, um, 10 years from now, do you still think it'll be watchable and intriguing? Um, this is definitely one that, that's still going to be that way. It's already been years past um, for, for, for it coming out, but the quotability, direction, and performances were just all superb, and the set pieces were vivid, and the pacing was perfect. Um, to you, 10 years from now, as I, as I said, already been out for so long, um, what will continue to make this um, a watchable and intriguing film? The undergroundness, man. Yeah, I just be making words up, Wellington. <laughs> just the like the, <laughs> the tree, like it's Fight Clubs in real life for sure. Right. I don't know. It's just like if you like you're a fan of like Brad Pitt, you just go down a rabbit hole of how many great films he's been in or like like you've been a part of, and if you land on this one. The cover alone, the the movie poster alone is going to be like, what? Why is he holding a bar of soap that says Fight Club? That funded Fight Club. Yeah. (laughs) That funded everything. Like, you're going to be intrigued. Like, why is he holding it so strong? (laughs) Why is it pink? Like, it's a lot lot to unfold by the movie poster alone. You're going to be intrigued by it. But, like, if you're an Ed fan and you're a, a Brad Pitt fan, I think, that alone will kind of entice you to want to watch it. And then once you watch it, you're not going to want to stop watching it. Especially when you get to the end of the movie. And you're like, what? Did I miss something? Did I go get popcorn (laughs) at the wrong time? What did I miss? (laughs) But yeah, man, that's... Fight Club. Actually, I want to go watch... I probably will watch with my dad today. See if you want to watch Fight Club. (laughs) Bring back old memories. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Brad Pitt, like, as, as we talked, like, the last film we did from him was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, a, a film that's, you know, kind of, uh, he, he wins an Oscar for it, but not, you know, one, not like his best role. Um, to you, in terms of just, like, actors that have, like, great performances beginning in their career, like this, like, do you feel as though this was a film that was essential for him to, because he, he would have he had, like, a really good career, an illustrious career, even if he didn't have this film. But I still feel, feel as though this character and what it symbolized, it's considered one of the most iconic characters that we've seen in the last 15 plus years. For sure. I think it showed his range. Because once you're like a... Because I think he's been acting for a while. He's been in movies way, way before this one. I think it just mm-hmm. shows his range of being uh, one of the best and well-known actors in the world, to be honest with you. He has a lot of range from Mr. and Mrs. Smith to Achilles, to, um, uh, geez, to <laughs> to having a chemical. Legends of Deadpool. the Fall. What was that? Legends of the Fall. Legends of the Fall, World World Z. Like, he has yeah. that range. You know what I mean? And I think for him to have this movie, it just adds to the catalog, it adds to the greatness, because he hasn't played a role like this in a while. Like, this was the yeah. only role he played like this. And I think it's, a, it's a, I guess, it's a time 
And then you have Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve. Like you have that, that franchise. Mm-hmm. So he, it shows his range. But this is the only film he gets to play. This like I haven't seen him in any other film that came close to this. And I think that's a, like absolutely the, the younger roles that he accepted. Now he's getting the big roles. Now he can pick and choose what he wants to do. But I think this kind of catapulted him to that to that to that realm of things. Because you got to take roles like this if you want to be able to pick and choose later on your on in your your career. Because at first, like even Denzel said, you got to take the roles that you got to take, and then down the road you can take the ones that that you want to and have the luxury of that. Because even earlier films like this are necessary for us to even think of what Brad Pitt is now. For sure, and then his catalog reaches back to like forever. He's he's played in some family films as well. A lot of people don't know about. And um, it, just, it just goes back to, the like you said, Denzel said it the best. You have to take those roles so people can know that. Hey, I can act my butt off and I'm worth every uh, movie you send me, but I'm going to pick and choose <laughs> what film yeah. I want to play in. But yeah, I think every fight club, people people kind of looked at him different like, huh, okay. He can't play a crazy <laughs> crazy cocaine head uh, character that wasn't even real. <laughs> like, you can play those <laughs> roles. Like, yeah, man, it's just... Brad Pitt has some range, man. Yeah. At one point, Absolutely. they were talking about having him play Bob Marley. I'm glad that was not oh, real. please no. <laughs> that would People would have ate him up. But I think he would have played it right. I think he would have played it great yeah. with Bob Marley. Yeah, definitely. Well, that wraps it up for today. I'm your host, Wendell Burns, where I counterpart Save by Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.